Exit the Matrix podcast. I am Amin Drew Law, a.k.a. Amin TMK, Amin Habibi pronouns. He, him, plus size model here with, uh, of course, my compatriots, my compadres, my uh, human friends. Uh, emotional moment, Sumler, Kita, do y'all have any things y'all want to say? Hey, Introduction. Folks. No, just say. Here for my comrades. This is nothing personal for me. It's just business. The streets of Baltimore, on the streets of Detroit, during the, the 60s in New York City. Immediately within it, you are going to get those people whose differences are not being articulated, which is right up. You expecting any backlash? Oh, I'm already getting it. Oh, yeah. This is Into the Matrix, where we break the latest national and international news through a leftist perspective. For updates, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Matrix Podcast. Uh, big news coming out of India, nearly 200, I mean, nearly 250 million. It's like 250 million. Can we just say 250 million? Like that's enough, right? Like it's close enough. <laughs> 250 million Indian workers, uh, from construction, banking, manufacturing, and the service sectors, um, started a general strike against government policies and, uh, for the, <clears throat> Compliance of several demands. The protest was convened by the main unions in coordination with over 300 farmer organizations to put pressure on the government and repeal a four-day labor code, which, according to unions, deprive workers from basic rights and benefits such as the eight-hour working day, the NewsClick website says. Some 200,000 farmers across India are traveling to the capital to join the strike, and uh, some have said is the biggest strike in human history. Uh, we talked about India on here. We've talked about Modi on here. You know, we talked about the, the community building trees, all of the different conflicts they've had on the, the China border. And you see the people, uh, again, rising up. Do we have, do we have some thoughts? Do we have some thoughts on, uh, on this India strike slash protest of uh, this enormous size? I mean, yeah, yeah, because, Oh my gosh. The context for it is that Modi wanted to institute labor laws that were incredibly oppressive. Uh, and it's all in his bid to make Indian economic power and to invite investors. What does invite investors mean? That India workers would no longer have the protection of an eight-hour workday. They wouldn't have access to overtime. That Modi was actually going to stop them from doing any organized labor. They couldn't form unions. Um, and all of this to attract investors, which essentially means that he wants to attract people to his country who who absolutely are going to ex exploit all of his citizens. Yeah, I mean, you know, so first off, the number is a ridiculous number, right? Just to put that in a cont contextual analysis, there's essentially 300 million people that live in Russia, 350 million people that live in America. So you're talking about 250 million people. A million people were at the Million Man March. This is 250 times larger than that. That number alone is something that should... Sit with that, right? That, that shows the power of organization. And, and what's interesting to me about India is we think about India as one nation. India is really like 900 tribes. There are so many different ethnic groups in there that have their own perspectives, their own customs and beliefs. To have 250 million of these people that believe very dissimilar things to say, we believe this, this shit is going to stop. You know what I'm saying? And, and to me, that shit is inspirational. Uh, Keita, I don't know if you can jump in on this, too. We were talking about the woman who was suing, uh, I think it was the state of Oregon 
for yes yeah for uh, essentially putting aside money only for black or small businesses owned by black people india is several demographics of people several different tribes several different countries within one country and to see 250 million people standing next to each other yes wow you know you know i love to see things like this It, it does my my heart um a lot of good it makes me very joyous to see the class consciousness all these people jumping in together that that's just an incredible thing you know let's do that here in america and it's all the way across the board right because one of the things that's very important is one of the biggest sets of people giving uh respect to this right now is india's national cricket team okay which is considered to be one of the best in the world they're out there with them supporting them in solidarity and think about how close we were to that in america when you had lebron james and all the basketball players about to in solidarity not on some symbol shit really come out there and be like no black lives matter like we should go ahead and like we ain't gonna do the fucking uh playoffs you know fuck the playoffs you know if they can't stop killing black people fuck the playoffs and who killed that shit Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Uh, Another thing that makes me think of is, you know, they're talking about how they're tired of the eight-hour workday. You know, it it shows here, what I'm reading is, um, you know, some of these provisions eliminate even the the eight-hour workday being the quote-unquote a full day. I mean, they're saying you can work up to 12 hours here, but it just reminds me of like, we always hear this thing about America and American workers being like very privileged. Like, you're very privileged to live here in America where we have all these so and so forth. And it's like, no, people in India right now are telling you like, I don't want to work an eight hour workday either. It's ridiculous. It doesn't give me any time to do any of the things that I want to do that human beings should do. And again, just bring it back to the class consciousness and the idea that like these other countries are not asking for the same things that Americans are asking for. And it's not some, you know, crazy American conspiracy where we want to be lazy. No, people are tired of working to the bone for nothing. And this is why it's so important to have a global perspective because the capitalists are globalist. They try these things in other areas, but they want to do them everywhere. So other places get to be test beds for these kind of things. If it's happening in India, the capitalists want to bring that shit here. You know what I'm saying? So when you're looking at the class consciousness of a place like India, with all of these different dissimilar beliefs and customs working together to say, no, we're going to stop this shit. I'm your huckleberry. And when we say capitalists, let's be honest, we're talking about globalists. These are the same companies because the same companies are everywhere. So when we're talking about good for investors, we mean probably Nestle, probably McDonald's, probably, right, uh, Amazon. The small business on probably Amazon. Apple. These companies are global companies, and they're the ones. It's like, well, is this a, is this a business friendly market? The small business on Amazon. Well, I mean, you know, the book that uh, you put me on, uh, Economic Hitman. Uh, you know, they talk about going into these countries with these plans, these economic plans of, you know, how you're gonna, you know, uh, get, you know, bring your country to the 21st century, and you're gonna come in, and uh, you know, you're gonna have the internet, and like you said, you're gonna have McDonald's, and you're gonna have iPhones, and you're gonna have you know, designer clothes and all, all these different things. And but what you're really doing is you're selling a country a tremendous amount of debt. You're selling them uh, it, it basically in a servitude to not only the the Nestles and the and the, the Crafts and the Apples and the Googles, but also to the Halliburtons. You know, also to the to the big engineering quote unquote engineering firms that are going to come in and try to build this infrastructure. And when you're a person like Modi and you're <laughs> totally fine with all it is you know, capitalist, you know, junk, especially when it helps you kind of uh, maintain this, 
you know, grasp that he has on like the non-Muslim population in, in India and like the nationalist ideas that he has, you know, it really is a, a perfect, a perfect pairing. And, um, just, just unfortunate, just unfortunate. Y'all ready to move on to the next thing or we have any more thoughts? No, no. Y'all did a great job. Y'all killing it. (laughs) Y'all are in in prime form. You're in your bag. You guys are in your bag. I I do just want to say in closing, thinking about that, right? I think one of the things that also we talk about it as a theoretical concept in America, those of us that talk about it at all. And what I mean is China's Belt and Road Initiative. We're like, we see this as a thought exercise in America, but that shit is actually happening out there. So when you're watching China develop these nations all throughout Central Asia and see the, the, the work that they're doing in Pakistan, you know, and then they're like, damn. Like, our government is not doing that shit for us. They're not doing these infrastructure projects for us. You know, look at China building all these fucking um, dams, you know, to get power to their people. And then Modi is literally a nation that's on the border for that shit. So, like, you see this shit all the time over there. It's not hypothetical. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, it's like, nah, you're going to make this shit at least this good for us too, bro. If other countries can do this shit, y'all can do this shit. And before we go to the next story, I just want to say 250 million people protesting in the streets. That's a motherfucking mood. So let's keep that going. Yes. Thoughts? Feeling right? Can I get some affirmation? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Always affirmations. You're the best. I mean, so a couple podcasts ago, we talked about. Podcast is how I tell time. Specifically. Some of the, the things that got passed that were good, some of the things that got passed that were not good. One of those things was, of course, in California, Uber and Lyft winning, saying that their drivers are contractors. This is directly from the election that took place. Yes. Yeah, not just voting for the presidents, but also other things. Yep. Well, the food delivery, you know, in the case of COVID-19 pandemic, uh, folks who can afford it have been having their food delivered. And folks oh. that can't afford it as well. Yeah. yeah. Going further into debt <laughs> so I can get my uh, my uh, pa- pad thai and... Um, right. Or your groceries <laughs> uh, or like basic goods. Well, all of those food delivery services are essentially raking in profits because of COVID-19, but they're refusing to pay their workers. Extreme poverty. And these delivery workers who are dropping off food aren't in the best conditions. Of course, they're getting exposed just like everybody else. But because they're considered independent contractors, they don't have the safety net of sick leave or insurance. And these companies also don't offer overtime. And in some cases, they don't even offer minimum wage. When the reality is, these people should be getting hazard pay. Like, fucking more than time and a half, whatever the fuck hazard pay is. Because you're sending people out in a global pandemic, right? This is what we talk about, the soullessness of of capitalism. These are the people that are literally helping you to turn your profit. You don't even ensure that you'll continue to be able to do that because people are literally disposable. Fuck them if they die. It's going to be another motherfucker need a job. That is insidious it's evil it's rhetorical it's totally evil and i mean these are the same companies too that um where it came to light especially for like doordash and uber where it was like hey you know what you're if you tip the drivers it's not even going to the drivers it's using to supplement this not even minimum wage i think it was like what 225 um an hour and if you tip two dollars well that that counted against the 225 you were supposed to get for that hour so you really only made like 25 cents um, these are the same workers and you can see like how they're pushing uh the limits of it by calling themselves i mean these are also the same companies that call themselves uh inventors like tech gurus so that they don't get ever get class where they have employees in these workers because they're like well we don't sell 
the driving, we sell the technology that enables them to get to your house. Take the credit. They'll never know. Which, which is absurd, which is uh, an absurd claim. And a moment you were talking about, like, the, the, the dangers of working in a pandemic. It makes me think when people are like, oh, you know, being a police officer is a really dangerous job. It's so tough. So first off, we already know it's not even a top 20 dangerous job, but we know a job that is. That's before the damn COVID was pizza delivery. Pizza delivery is a legit top 10 most dangerous job in a fucking America. Because motherfuckers will pull out the blammy, take your wallet and your pizza and your fucking life. I'm your huckleberry. But now also... It's a side of fucking COVID. Fuck out of here. Yeah, and you do not have the same connect. You're not connect. I remember I used to deliver pizzas. And let me tell you something. Growing up, and I was connected to the pizza place that I worked. So I again, I can have a conversation with the company that I'm working for. We can, you know, uh, discuss like the type of the frustrations that I'm feeling. But again, when these people just try to say, oh, this is our company, but are completely disconnected from the company. This is the company that I run. I created the technology, but but I don't have any um, uh, uh, adherence to the employees that I have. I mean, that's just like truly absurd. And again, super violent, super dangerous work. And, you know, they're not getting a dollar for it. They're not. And it's also exploiting the fact that millions of people lost their jobs because of COVID-19, right? Uh, and so these delivery drivers or essentially these delivery app companies are taking advantage of being like, well, you don't have a job. I'm at least paying you 20 bucks an hour or not an hour, sorry, a day, essentially 20 bucks a day. You don't even get all of your tips, but aren't you grateful that you have $20 at least for the day rather than having nothing uh, on unemployment? Uh, and, and the reason I I say that is yes most people were supposed to get unemployment benefits but even six months later people have said i never got that money and now they're trying to say that i'm i owe the government for money that i never got i'm so glad you brought that up because i feel like we're going to touch about that more in the next segment one thing i wanted to say about this was the amount of money that you can make doing this is minimal at best, right? And we were just talking about how the unemployment rate, quote unquote, is going down. But if you work for 15 hours a week on DoorDash, that's technically having a job. But it's really not. It's like an extra $150 in your pocket. And if you live in a place, uh, in, in a city where you have to pay a lot of rent, we live in Washington, D.C., the highest gentrification of any city in the United States, according to the D.C. It's last year. Check our podcast. Um, you, you, What can I do? What can I do with, with $400, $500 a, a week? I mean, yeah, nothing. That's nowhere... It, close to the rent in D.C. If you are considered on Section 8 low income, you're getting any benefits for your housing, they class it as like $1,500 for a two-person family. Um, That $400 won't even help you pay rent if you're getting housing assistance. It's just truly ridiculous. And... I, I, people are really struggling out here, you know, and, and this is just us saying, I think, well, me saying personally to the folks out there that are really struggling, like we see it, we see y'all and, um, you know, it's, it's not fair. And, uh, can we take a little page from India's book, India's workers, India's citizens out here grinding, you know, throwing everything down, general strike, making that happen. Uh, that's a mood that, that I, uh, that I'm into uh, any, any more movie. thoughts on, on, you know, the door dashes and the grub hubs and the Uber eats, um, you know, just basically taking folks money. 
No. Uh, I think that's it for this segment. Are y'all ready to jump into the next segment or do we have another thing? Yeah, let's go. I say ain't no love in the heart of the city. Ain't no love in the heart of town. Welcome to Heart of the City, where we discuss local politics and breaking news. Uh, some have said that all politics are local, but we say all movements are grassroots. Uh, for updates, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Matrix Podcast. We live here in the great chocolate city, Washington, D.C., the belly of the beast. Uh, and if you are uh, in a big city, uh, you know that it is very, I don't have a vehicle personally. Uh, I don't believe that y'all have a vehicle personally. I don't mean to be outing y'all here. No, okay, no. Yeah. I gave up the car and best decision. So much le- less stress. I mean, personally, man, I love driving, man, but it's such a luxury. There's no need to do it in a city like this. And that's something I feel like is a great thing about, like, having lived down south for so long, where, like, when segregation had to, like, go away, they literally destructed, uh, they destroyed fucking public, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, well, if I got to ride on a bus with them fucking niggers, I'm going to tell you what, I'm, I'd rather buy a fucking car. Like to buy a but, like, on the East Coast, you actually have mass transit, and uh, I feel like it's irresponsible to not use it, so me. Right, right, right. So, okay, that brings me, because I've been riding the bus since I was in May, I want to say the sixth or the seventh grade. I've been riding a train since high school for sure. And let me tell you something. So I, it's a huge part of my my DC life. Let me let me say though, I think that's an awesome thing. That was something that blew my mind when I moved out to DC was to see that DC kids, there's not a DC fucking school bus. DC kids ride the fucking DC metro and they get special fucking vouchers and that shit. That shit is cool as shit, man. You know, being able to move as a young person, being able to go from place to place, whether it's you know now of course in the times that we're living in it's not as easy but you know being able to go to the mall being able to go to your friend's house being able to go to the basketball court being able to go to you know do the different things that you like to do without asking your mom or having someone who has a car i love that freedom which brings me to this particular point facing the grimmest budget projection predictions projections in uh its 50 year history metro is proposing a complete elimination of weekend services, complete elimination of the train running on the weekends. And it would close at 9? It would close at 9 p.m. every weekday. And not only that, they're closing 19 stations indefinitely. Whoa. That was the one that really got me. Because again, COVID got everybody's fucking per capita down. Like you can't, you know, essentially you get on the bus in the back, you don't pay for it. Uh, it's paid out of taxes. And this is what we talk about again, the connection to defund the police because the police departments are not going to get defunded, but Metro is. I wouldn't see. Here's the thing, because I don't see public transit as something that has to accrue money. Right. And I think that that's some of the argument against, well, we have to do budget cuts because we're not making money. But the whole point of public transit is being a public service. It is a public utility. Uh, Citizens shouldn't have to pay for it except through their taxes. So and then it should be free for everybody, quite honestly. And I feel like with these budget cuts, it's so violent against 
low-income people, and particularly people of color in D.C. who've been pushed out of the district into the outlying areas. And now the district is essentially saying, well, we can't afford to go out because you know what's going to get cut. We all know the stations that are going to get cut, and it's not going to be the core of D.C. It's going to be in Anacostia. It's going to be in fucking, except for Northwest. Northwest, we got to bring in the rich white people. Um, But all of these other areas on these outlying ones, and that cutting bus service and public transit, because they've had to do it for a really long time, affects all of these people who you're saying are essential workers. They can't live in the city. They now can't live outside of the city in order to come back in. Um, And it feels like a threat, right? Right. And and I don't like my public governmental agency saying, well, if you don't give us money, then we're just going to shut down. You offer a service to the public. You can't do that. You should not be able to. And you said threat. It also is, is to me, it's playing politics because, you know, good old Muriel Bowser, the, the Black you know, Lives Matter is critical of me. You know, the Democratic mayor of this uh, great city uh, is saying, hey, look at the Republicans. They're not giving us any money for the, the they're not giving us a, any stimulus money so we can fix these kind of things. Extreme poverty. Oh, like- you're saying that we don't have the money. The Amer the 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 DC a- average like median yearly salary is like a hundred and thirty thousand dollars for white people, you know, and, and and like those taxes raise so much money. Right. How can you not have the it's money? It's a legitimate punishment for people of color because again, in Northwest, overwhelmingly in one of the blackest cities in America. Right. This is where this in Northwest is where people that have cars are. Right. So, again, they're not going to be that affected, but they will none of their none of their stations will be shut down. You know what I'm saying? Again, as we're talking about, it will be in places like Anacostia. And so this is like when we flip it from that southern side, because, again, it's not de facto desegregation punishment, but it's still punishment for being black and not driving. And all the people who work for WMATA. I mean, you're talking about tons of cuts that are already happening. You would want to keep something like the Metro running specifically just because so many jobs are tied to it. Like, I feel like that's a point that the Democrats and the government in general likes to play with all the time. Well, we're providing jobs, you know, this is how you provide jobs to tens of thousands of D.C. residents. It is how you provide jobs. But like, let's look at the history of how people shit on public transit, particularly in the United States. Amosha touched on it when he was like, yeah, it's absolutely part of segregation. White people in the South couldn't envision riding because public transit used to be a thing in the South. This is why we had Rosa Parks and her crew of organized black people coming in and building that protest, right? Because we had public transit and that completely gets erased. But the moment white people realized, oh, we have to ride with those people? Absolutely not. And they defunded and really kind of eliminated public transit as an avenue. And that, that honestly, Uber and Lyft do the same thing. They came into all of these metro areas to destabilize public transit. And this is is all part of these patterns that we see because what do you do you're like well i'm broke as shit but i still have to get to a job that's probably not going to pay enough and i'm going to have to get a lift or uber which further destabilizes public transit and once again strengthens the fact that uber and lyft don't have to pay their drivers as freaking employees which further destabilizes like the economic fabric or really the societal fabric that we have to be in part of a community and let's also acknowledge the numbers, right? The thing about public 
transportation is. It is great for the environment. You're moving an incredible amount of people around with far less carbon emissions. There's never going to be enough Lyft drivers to reasonably move the amount of people that Metro can move. And when we talk about like the cult of worship in America for certain types of service, uh, and you know, like think about the cult of worship for soldiers, the cult of worship for police. How the fuck, especially in an era of, of, of a pandemic, do we not have this cult of reverence for the people that are making the city work, man? Literally, the people that are driving the buses, the people that are driving the, the subways. You talk about risking your life. This isn't a metaphorical every time I pull over somebody to give a ticket, my life is on the line. Every passenger that gets on a fucking bus, that bus driver risks their fucking life. Absolutely. And the climate aspect, like you said, because without public transit, you have more cars on the road. Even if those cars are fucking electric, the manufacturing houses and warehouses that build these man, these freaking electric cars are using a lot of, having a lot of carbon emissions. So don't pull that bullshit. Well, it'll all be electric. You mentioned another thing too. I mean, like when people are riding Metro, they're not getting tickets for speeding on uh, 295 and 395 and 495 and you or know North <clears throat> Capital. Jeez, or you North don't Capital even have to where be on the highway. <laughs> 16th Street driving down there. Yeah, no, you might get a $150 ticket and you probably will. We know that the state, I'm sorry, the the District of Columbia makes uh hundreds of millions of dollars every few years on parking tickets and I believe it was like 27 million dollars that one camera on 295 made yep. for like for 3 a 3 year period and oh no mambo muriel has put, matter is critical of has me. put more and more and more cameras which are expensive to and put up I believe, as well. more and more parking so you have to pay for these parking spots and parking tickets in dc are also i crazy. mean they're absurd yeah Yo, and that shit is banal too, right? Because think about like how like remember we'd be on tour sometimes and we'd be like, oh, we're going to go to this part of Oklahoma. Oh, we don't want to go there because it's a toll on the fucking road. Literally, these cameras are the biggest fucking toll shits ever. And they jack way the fuck up because you purposely added like it's a fucking work zone. Ain't no fucking work been done on this shit in years. The fake work zone. <laughs> the fake work zone. <laughs> so totally, absurd. totally. Uh, and another aspect of this too for DC in particular, because uh, it's to keep people out of DC or to keep people from coming into dc dc had large-scale protests also like for right. many times without metro service damn those people aren't coming into the city to protest. another point another angle yo 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 and again right remember one of the first things that happened because the answer is supposed to be get a lift when a protest happened all the fucking scooters off the fucking road right. all of the rental bikes gone yeah, make it as difficult as as possible for people to mobilize because again, like uh, most people don't have four or five people in a car. You got one or two people in a car, <laughs> right. and to drive to the protest, of course, that doesn't make any sense to me because I've been in the city for so long and almost uh, all you, the protests I've you done. Know, you can't drive to no, no, it's a ridiculous. <laughs> you, you can't get down there. You're gonna go to Black Lives Matter Square. You're gonna go down to Lafayette in a car. Absolutely not. Uh, while we're talking about any more thoughts on this particular no, subject, I'm just saying like interconnected think about think about that money and what you prevent coming in yeah no that's a big fact uh so if you don't know we were talking about the old pandemic here you know millions tens of millions of people uh scheduled to be affected uh evicted excuse me at the end of december i think it's 17 million is what i was seeing people who are back rent uh i know that uh, uh in washington dc we have one of the high 
highest rates of houselessness as well as people being uh, possibly evicted or, or in danger of being evicted. So two days ago, one of my friends sent me a link and was like, hey, you can apply for these housing uh, services. Muriel Bowser just put out some new services just for you <laughs> so you can do better in terms of your affordable housing journey. Well, let's talk about that. Black Lives Matter is critical of me. $10 million. Uh, and this is just government grants, okay? Government grants. This is from the CARES Act. This is not from the D.C. taxpayers are going to uh, have some housing stabilization grants. Yay! Sounds so, so, so that amazing. positive. This is the problem. This is the problem. The rent relief program will give grants directly to D.C. landlords. That means if you are a renter, you will not get a single dollar. You have to apply. You have to apply so you can get some of your back rent taken care of. But you can't apply. Your landlord has to apply. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. So, you know, for me, it's, it's just one of those situations where... The money is there. It's sitting here, okay? By allowing housing providers to apply for assistance on behalf of tenants, we can provide swifter relief. That's just bullshit. I mean, right? I mean, you are going to, you have the ability to to get this money back through litigation. I'm sure that's going to take time. But why not put the money in the hands of the renters instead of once again giving it out to the landlords? And it's not even just what we say landlords, but it's not really like your local small landlord who just owns one or two houses other than the, the one that they're living in. This is really for the conglomerate developers that Muriel Bowser has brought in over the last four years to make D.C. the highest gentrified city in the United States. Yeah. Yep. Black and Lives Matter is critical. <laughs> the money me. that's literally given to them by the federal government to help the citizens is now going to landlords. Do you have thoughts? Well, it's going to private investors because uh, there's been enough news articles, do your own research, where it shows that in metro areas, particularly like D.C., like Amin said, um, a lot of the mayors and governors essentially gave over most of their city um, and vacant homes to private investors. A small business on Amazon. So it's not a small mom-and-pop landlord. But quite honestly, even in the South where you get small uh, mom-and-pop landlords, essentially, um, they are bullshit. They're terrible freaking people. They're the ones who, like, quietly harass you because they got a cousin on the sheriff's force or the cop police force. They're coming. They're saying that you owe them rent. Um, My problem with this, too, is is that up to $2,000 does not cover rent in D.C. Extreme poverty. (laughs) Not for a lot of people. Um, You hope the assumption is is that this will only go to people who live in affordable housing. Uh, it says that it will. But also that you're giving money to landlords to cover tenant arrears um, up to $2,000 a month. And assuming the landlord will forgive the remaining 20%, let's be honest, these landlords have already filed eviction proceedings in courts, even though courts aren't seeing them, so that the moment the moratoriums end in January 1st or December 31st, they're kicking all these people out. So you're giving $10 million to private investors who already gentrified and destroyed this Black city. Black Lives Matter is critical And then of they're me. still going to kick out 
all of the tenants who need to stay in their homes to protect them from COVID-19. And don't bullshit because that's exactly what the airlines did. So for one thing, I feel like every house where they're getting this rental assistance, that should automatically be tied to food aid. Because if a fucking family ain't got enough money to pay rent, you can best believe motherfuckers ain't eating right either. So, like, at least that way both sides are covered, right? If it's $2,000 of rent assurance and $2,000 of fucking food aid, we can at least know that these families can live. So that's my first thing. But my second thing is... I don't have a whole lot of fucking sympathy for fucking landlords. I'm your huckleberry. I remember when I lived in Little Rock, there was this place I lived in the Heights, right? And uh, I was renting a little duplex from a first-generation immigrant family. They were like Greek or some shit. And, uh, you know, it was a sweet old lady and her sweet old fucking husband and shit. When we needed things, they would come through. They would fix it. They were old. They were, as landlords could go, relatively nice. One of them died. Uh, and then they passed it on to the, the fucking son. The son had never had any type of relationship with any of the tenants. The energy was totally different. This dickhead didn't buy shit, didn't build shit, didn't do anything. He literally inherited this shit and was like a fucking bully, man. Wouldn't fix nothing, bitched about all the people that were over your house. I'm like, yo, bro, your mom actually ran this shit. And it's like, these are the kind of people they're to get. They're not out of money. Most of these people that own that are quote unquote small uh, inherited this shit. The rhetoric that I also hate around this piece of news is because essentially Bowser and like other people are like, well, we need help landlords because it's the assumption that they're small, even though they're not. Only one million of this ten million dollars is even going to small small landlords. That's one million every- dollars. Only one million. I but- mean, what is that? Right. <laughs> Let's pretend. Let's pretend. The, the rhetoric that I hate seeing around this is that they're bl- they're saying we have to give the money to the landlords because tenants aren't applying for aid. And I'm like, this is bullshit because most renters, if you're struggling to pay your bills, like rent, like food, um, like keeping your utilities on, why is it the onus on them struggling to figure out how can people help them? And this is why landlords are bullshit because it should be the responsibility of your landlord to be like, hey, you have aid coming to you. Let me help you apply for it. So they're blaming tenants saying, well, you're not getting money directly anymore, um, but even though it's not directly because they have to apply for it. It's impossible to apply for. And then third, well, the landlords will give get this money and then they'll give it to you. And that's such a fallacious argument so that renters are essentially never getting the help that they need in order to survive a pandemic that should be survivable because there's enough money there's enough homes there is enough food in the united states and it's not ever getting to the people who need it you made me think of two things number one 47 million vacant homes uh in the united states as of 2020 and another thing you were talking about this is this is hilarious uh one of the spokesmen of this organization that uh is like I guess like when it's spearheading or having a conversation with the council about this stomp out slumlords is the name of the organization. <laughs> it's a new grant program and they're one of their organizers, uh, Stephanie Bastic, old Stephanie, uh, said it's cumbersome and difficult to apply for renting relief funding. Bastic says about tenants. It's also humiliating. Let me first say this. 
I don't have a motherfucking single qualm with applying for relief. Okay, I've been doing that thing since for for my whole life. Let me tell you Uh, something. What were we just talking about? I went and got me some food stamps, which they cut already. But um, that's a story for another day. I have no problem applying for something that's easy to apply to. No problem. When this popped out, I'm telling you right now, hundreds, if not thousands, of people are looking for relief through art grants, through any type of you know grant through school grants through relief that you have you know like we're talking about here mm-hmm. with affordable housing the, to to make this is the the nonprofit industrial complex just smacking you right in the face here <laughs> it's they're trying to make it seem like oh the the landlords they're the ones who should have all the issues with applying. No, let me be involved. I want to know exactly how much money I'm getting. I want to be the point of contact because these landlords, first of all, I don't even have contact with my landlord. I have contact through an organization that works for my landlord. So now I have to not only go through my landlord, who's going to be difficult enough to get in contact with, I have to go through a goddamn middleman. And I think they're going to apply for me. They haven't done shit for me since I've worked here. They have not given me a single cent off. Right. And they're not telling you about the rent relief programs that are out there. I kind of feel this way about even though I, I have a lot of feelings about the health care act, the affordable health care act. But the complaint from uh, all the Republicans was, well, people weren't applying for it. So it's useless. And it's like also you didn't give any advertising money to it. You didn't tell people it was there and available. And I feel the same way about these rent relief programs, because like over at, uh, at my place, uh, the D.C. Tenants Union has been fantastic. They've been out there talking about like look you should just say that rent should not be paid we're on rent strike cancel fucking rent but if you can't cancel rent at least here's the rent relief programs that you should apply to do you know what my landlord also owned by one of those private investors so it's not even like a, I, I say landlord i'm just gonna now say owned by a private investment company a small business on amazon my so this private investment company who owns my apartment and all the apartment buildings all they sent was hey we know it's been difficult for you So we're not going to raise your rent. You're welcome. It's rhetoric. There was nothing in there about rent relief. And then the next letter that they sent was, hey, if you're struggling, we'll help you. We'll put you on a payment plan. A payment plan. But you have to let us know if you're struggling. Did they tell me about the rent relief programs that were available through the CARES Act, through D.C.? No. All they said was, you owe us money pay me will put you on a payment plan but nothing about actual freaking relief programs that would essentially get them paid you just said so many good things and that's going to transition us into the next thing which is this is another article i I pulled up here this was two days ago okay dc officials say housing rental assistance is going unused despite crisis let me let me let me let me just talk a little bit about this because as a person and I, I know uh Kita you are as well have been applying we all are applying for some relief from the richest nation in the entire universe that we know of Extreme the most poverty. evil largest like, empire give me some of that drip you got all the <laughs> drip and you just let, let the faucet run for a little bit like <laughs> the rest of these damn countries so we can freaking live Don Corleone had all the judges and refused to share them. <laughs> refused to share them. So um, I'm, I'm looking at this. So D.C. officials are saying the housing assistance has been underutilized. I wonder why. You know what you need? You know, this, this is the eligibility income, income, monthly income limits. Okay. 
monthly income limits. This is the most you can make to receive any sort of benefits. If you're one person, you cannot make more than $1,329 per month. Extreme poverty. Like If you're two people, you cannot make more than $1,795. Three people, $2,262. Four people, $2,729. Five people, $3,000, about $3,200. Who? What? I have to, to even get any of my money off. I basically have to work a job that, I mean, forget DC. I couldn't live in, uh, little Orleans for, for, <laughs> for $1,329 a month. So I don't understand how you can have all of this money allotted for rental assistance, for, uh, uh, debt relief, for food services, yet to apply for them. I need a goddamn lawyer. You do. I, I, I need to make so little money. I mean, essentially, you couldn't even work a job that makes one thousand three hundred and twenty nine dollars per month full time in D.C. Yes, you you literally couldn't even do it. So I, I I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, not only are they not giving you any money, they won't even release the money. They won't release the money, and then they're again the rhetoric around this, right? Because they're like, well, we're about to lose all of this money at the end of December because nobody will apply for it, but. You, I'm going to just say it, in any city, you know exactly where the affordable housing projects are because everybody wants to avoid having them in their backyard being racist motherfuckers. Everybody knows where they are. Why don't they get mailings? Why don't you work with the landlords to be like, hey, we need to make sure that all the tenants in this building apply for this aid because we know that they're struggling. All the fucking homeless shelters that are in D.C., why aren't you going there and helping these fools? Like, instead, the D.C. police are kicking homeless people out of parks and they're building all of this hostile, toxic, freaking, um benches that people can't sit on and making sure that people can't lay on the concrete or sleep under a bridge. Meanwhile, at these restaurants, they got these little bubbles outside <laughs> where you can eat in a protected space. So you right. don't have to be, but like homeless people literally could be sleeping in these places. They could be. And, and it's a way to keep like pocket all of this money. Everybody has said, if you give money directly to the people and stop giving it to all of these corporations, that people will put it, even if they don't pay for their rent, which again, People shouldn't have to pay for rent. Housing should be given to you by our society and through your taxes. Um, but that if, even if people don't pay rent, it's going into the economy because people are paying bills. People are paying debts. But the reality, too, is, is that if you understand how freaking exhausting it is being that impoverished to meet those numbers and to still survive, you're not thinking about how can I get help? You're thinking about your base survival. How am I going to get food for my children? How am I going to like, okay, we don't have water anymore. So this is what we're going to have to do. We're either going to have to ask our family or the neighbors, or we're just going to have to keep buying bottled water, which is an extra fucking cost that you have to account for. Oh, hey, we got this last can of green beans. What the fuck are we going to do with it? That's what you're thinking of, not, oh, I have to spend two hours filling out this application asking me for a bunch of information that I don't have access to because it's a fucking pandemic. Libraries are closed. You're now cutting public transit. How am I supposed to print off this documentation? Because, I mean, you talk 
talked about all the crazy documentation they asked you for. For food stamps. For food stamps. $100 a month, which they've already cut, by the way. Again, don't want to talk you know, too much about that, but I am in my feelings. Mario, where's my uh, food, my SNAP, my EBT? Yo, and it goes even further, man, because you know what? If you had a failed relationship with somebody that generated in a production of a kid, you know what I'm saying? And you apply for food stamps, they will literally prosecute you and you will be in jail if you're behind on child support. Like, if you're behind on child support, you still have to literally eat. Like, we want to say these are the most horrible people in the world, but they fucking broke is what the fuck they are. And, like, if you apply for a food stamp, they will go through you for that product project program? Yeah. Yeah, and the way we treat uh people is really because it's going to be you next and look here we are it's you it's you struggling to apply for all of these benefits that you may have literally said other people don't deserve no everybody deserves them everybody deserves food and housing i don't give a shit about your debts like because we owe it to each other to ensure we're all thriving 94 percent of the voting population of washington dc Voted for jump off Joey. Okay. The Muriel Bowser, uh, mayoral office, very democratic. Black Lives Matter is critical of me. Very democratic office. And I thought, this is what I was told that, uh, only, uh, conservatives and Republicans were against services for the people. In this wonderful, amazing democratic city, we do not have the ability to receive food stamps and rental relief. These are the type of things that I think we are at the core of our frustration. And I know we're going to talk about this more on another podcast, but the intense frustration of people celebrating the wins of Democrats, not just the presidency, but in other places, it has no effect on the living standards of the population and the constituency of those Democratic mayors. Uh, Do we have any more any more thoughts on this? Y'all are great. Uh, let's great. move on. Let's move on. Let's talk about the environment. The environment. The environment. Where are we going to dump our sludge next? Well, the Grand Canyon could hold a lot of sludge. Oh, it sure could. Yeah, let's sludge the hell out of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Is that Ted Turner? I think it is. What the hell's he doing? I don't know. He's on one of those zip lines. Oh, yeah. Is that what they're called? Zip lines? Yeah, zip lines. Yeah. I always thought... Environmental corner. I feel like we haven't had one of these in a while. I've been wanting to talk about the environment um, as, yeah. you know, the election was dominating the news and, and the coronavirus is dominating the news. There was this, like, idea that someone was saying people were like, well, you know, people are in their houses and, you know, they're just not going out as much. And, you know, the environment is coming back. You know, it's coming the back. The world is here. I see the birds chirping and they're having, you know, conversations with the squirrels. And it's all going to be great. First of all, it's not a blip. Just wanted to put that out there. A, nothing has changed when it comes to uh, reversing the climate crisis that exists right yeah, now. Because it's not individual responsibility. Ding, ding, ding. Surprise. Um, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about this because, you know, we were talking about Heart of the City and how I feel like all movements are grassroots. That's the new thing that I'm that I'm uh, working on. What are y'all thoughts? Do you like it? Yeah. We confirmed. That's what the crack team came up with. Yeah. Um, testing out new shit. Testing out the new shit. Yeah, new markets. Markets, uh, you know, trying to uh, to expand our demographics, but um, uh, this 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 uh, caught my eye. Uh, family of murdered Indigenous Amazon land activists says the illegal logging persists years later. Um, illegal loggers are operating unchecked 
in Brazil's Amazon as the coronavirus rages, despite government, the, uh, despite the government saying they vow to act after the uh, indigenous land activist was killed exactly one year ago trying to protect the rainforest. Uh, Paulo Paulino Galahara or Lobo. Uh, wolf in Portuguese was uh, hunting November 1st in 2019 uh, inside the Arabolia Reservation in uh, Marin Howe State when he was attacked and shot in the head. His cousin, uh, Laercio Galahara, was wounded but escaped. So there are uh, people, you know, in the Amazon right now, and they are fighting this intense logging that is happening illegally. Uh, we all know the Presidente of Brazil, Bolsonaro, another violent fascist. And as we can see, like, we talk about the water protectors and the land protectors uh, here in the United States, and uh, but just all around the world, all around the world, indigenous people fighting for the land. I mean, the climate crisis, everyone says in that what, you know, Joey loves to talk about it too. The climate crisis. Oh my goodness. Given all his lip service, but there are still yeah. all of these, you know, this environmental racism, racism that we're seeing all of this, you know, violent, um, you know, oppressive, uh, uh, you know, capitalism that is just destroying, um, you know, every destroying the, the entire, um, you know, the entire Amazon ecosystems. The, yeah, yeah. Huge, huge I mean, ecosystems. But last year, uh, wasn't it said that, uh, the deforestation in the Amazon hit an 11 year high? Um, because Bolsonaro, of course, is rolling back protections, uh, cause he wants to develop all of that land and sell it, quite honestly, to those private investors that he wants to, uh, bring back. A small um, but business that, on Amazon. You know, even cause his, his lip service essentially was, hey, I'm going to pro- help protect indigenous land. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic and COVID-19, people aren't going out there. Uh, and these indigenous tribes are like, yeah, because of COVID-19, the government won't send anyone to protect our actual land. And so the loggers are coming and doing all of this illegal logging and, and murdering people and getting away with it. And, and it's just... It, this is what it means to attract private investors, right? Small business <laughs> this is on what it Amazon. means to be beholden to people who hold these purses. This is what Bolsonaro is doing, and as we see Modi in India, you know, it's manifesting manifesting in different different ways, but still not serving the people. How long have we been talking about the Amazon rainforest? Just the the degradation uh, of of I mean, since I feel like I've been in elementary school, we've been talking about the importance of the Amazon, but as as we see here. I mean, it, it just doesn't matter. Again, just enabling the, the destruction of the world. And, and it's an interesting thing, right? Because it, it puts me in a very odd place as far as like my feelings for like global responsibility versus national sovereignty, right? It's difficult to go into a nation and say, you have the world's largest coal deposits in the world, but we as the world decide you shouldn't burn this because it's bad for us, right? Especially if you're underpowered. Uh, and essentially this is the argument that Brazil is making is like, we need this as a form of, of national sovereignty to be able to sell the wood from here is like something that allows us to pull, but like that money doesn't trickle down. It's not like you're doing this for the betterment of Brazilians. This is those same secret quasi capitalists that need to see this done. It's for the betterment of them. 
And like to me, that's a no brainer. That's a no brainer now because you're talking about what happens in the Amazon literally affects all of the rest of the world directly. The the Sahara is directly affected by what happens in the Amazon. That's how deeply connected Earth is and all of these different bio biodiversity uh, environments. So it makes and so this is what I wanted to bring up because this is. I mean, I I totally agree with you uh, where, where you're coming from. Um, again, all. Movements are grassroots. I stand in solidarity with the land protectors, the water protectors that exist um, in Brazil. And I wanted to talk about this, too, because I have the article up here, but it's switched up. But thank goodness I have such an intense and uh, passionate uh, knowledge on the environment uh, to just uh, go ahead and <clears throat> free will this thing. But 40 uh, percent of the Amazon rainforest is now on the verge of changing into a savanna. Which would radically, I think, Moman, you were just talking about how, you know, the, the Sahara desert is, it affects the Amazon and the Amazon provides, you know, oxygen and all these different things. So you're talking about 40% of the Amazon now becoming savanna. You know, we keep talking about what's the, what's going to be like the last thing that happens. We always talk about icebergs, you know, like the icebergs melting. That's going to be the last hurrah for the climate change before, you know, it it completely is out of control. I mean, if 40% of the Amazon goes into a savanna, I mean, isn't that kind of game over for climate change for, you know, game over, man, but you know, not, not to, to be, you know, so intense with it, but I mean, isn't that, well, think about how much of the water is claimed right by all of that, the, the trees, right? I mean, when you think about what the Amazon basin is, so like now there's no way to really hold and store that water. It has to go some other fucking place and it ain't just the ocean. But it also shows like how interconnected a lot of this is and that we're not taking it seriously because we're not seeing irreversible damage. But by the time we get to irreversible damage, um, I just think about people who don't go to the doctor and they're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then suddenly they have a kidney explode. And it's like, why did we have to get to your kidney exploding before you could get help? Like, we should have helped you when you said you felt this uncomfortable, persistent pain in the in the side of your body. And the same thing with, like, the Amazon and, and even the ice caps melting, where now that we're seeing it, it's like, oh, I guess this is serious but of course the fact that we won't stop these private investors and these manufacturers and honestly these monopolies from having this stranglehold on things because again capitalists don't care about anything but the dollar they don't care about like, all of their, no, like they only see it as rich resources but i see it as like the rich biodiversity of the amazon the culture of the indigenous peoples who live there that will also be lost the the linguistic dialects and languages that they bring to what we call humanity and all of the things that we can learn about them like that's what we're we're losing with all of this and of course capitalists don't care but we have to care about these things yeah no it made me think about again we're talking about the tribes in india right think about like just for all you sports fans out there think about how different paula costa brazilian looks from fucking, uh, what's, what's, uh, homeboy? Figueiredo. Fig yeah, Davidson. Davidson Figueiredo, right? Who is fucking indigenous. Like, one of these motherfuckers looks like he deadly, dead ass could be from like Puerto, fucking, uh, Portugal and shit. And one of these motherfuckers looks like dead ass, like, straight up still 100% indigenous 
You know, what I, mean? I mean, like yeah, we talk about racism in America, but we don't see the colorism also huge existing in places like Brazil. Brazil, man. Huge. No, I mean, great stuff, great stuff. Uh, that brings me to, uh, I believe this is our last story of the day. Um, is it? Did I get anything wrong? No. Uh, oh no, we have two more stories. Got two more stories. It's all good. It's all good. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm right back at it. I'm right back at it. But this is something that I, I found. It came across on Instagram. It made me really sad. Uh, 99% of this particular species of sea turtles are uh, turning female. And uh, the reason that that's happening is because um, the sex of these particular turtles, you can, you get the sex based on the particular temperatures uh, that they are buried in the soil at. And because the temperatures have become so hot um, this entire species of uh, the eastern Australian green sea turtle may come to an end and we talk about I think uh, the beginning of January. Remember January? Oh, oh January. So far away. So far away. Decades. Yeah, it was those, uh, the Australia rainforest was burning and it was like, uh, a significant population it was like 22% of all of their species, uh, had become endangered after those. Uh, we're seeing more of this, uh, intense endangerment of all of the, uh, animal population here in, in the world. But the Eastern Australian green sea turtle, which can reach up to 500 pounds. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Uh, it has a heart shaped shell. Oh my God. That's just so like the, the, the so nature. Precious. Look up pictures. It's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, four feet in diameter, uh, primarily nests in two places, um, which are just a different bunch of islands near Brisbane and along the Great Barrier Reef. A few years after the offsprings hatch from either of these places, they mingle and swim in shallow waters and gets busy with uh, the rest of their 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 turtle friends. Uh, but as we see now, 99% of them are now turning female. And uh, this, I, I assume, is going to uh, lead to the end. Or scientists are worried that this is going to lead to the end of this particular species and other species that sex um, uh, has a determining factor based on the temperature. Uh, uh, do we have any uh, thoughts on this? Is, is the phrase dimorphism where, like, uh, animals randomly change their sexes? I can't remember. There's a phrase for it. Yeah, but, uh, amphibians... Uh, are are known to do that right i feel like look i feel like this is a warning sign it's definitely something we need to look at because it's the subtlest things in environmental change can have vast repercussions but when it comes to reptiles man i just trust they gonna make it man <laughs> fucking sea turtles been are turtles reptiles or are they amphibians they're reptiles yeah they've oh, okay. been around for 150 million years turtles and crocodiles have just been they've been here since the fucking dinosaurs and that's not to say they're impervious and and nothing can wipe them out because if anybody can it'd be humanity but like man i i don't know man we got deer in chernobyl and shit like I, I, I'm not saying we don't need to be responsible, but I, I believe the turtles will figure it out. We have to totally be responsible, um, because it shows the interconnectivity that we were talking about with the Amazon deforestation, and now how climate change is affecting. Um, like we shouldn't force stressors on the environment because that animal will figure it out. Yeah, people have been doing that for freaking years. People are living in such gross impoverished conditions that yeah they've adapted to their environment but please let's not do that 
it. Yeah, yeah. Tell that to the dodo bird, right? <laughs> hey, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, dodo bird. Right. You're like, okay, well, rats in New York are going to figure out. <laughs> yeah, rats, rats in New, New York, York are definitely going to figure it the fuck out. Now, I'm good. worried about the fucking panda, but the rats in New York, right. shit. Right. Well, like, panda sometimes is a mood where you're just like, but why don't? <laughs> yeah, panda, pandas is going to be tough to, your pandas and polar bears, man, they're going to be tough to save. Yo, man, what if pandas really have the highest consciousness of everything on earth and we just don't know how to measure it? Oh, and God. literally they're just existentially depressed and like, we fucking give up. We fucking give up. Okay, that's why I said mood. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I, I also hear what you're saying, Mo Man. I mean, there is a tremendous amount of resilience that, um, uh, you know, amphibians and, and reptiles have for, for being here far before Americans and, uh, far before humans. Um, and I just wanted to touch on this last story. This, this was something that just caught my eye. Minuscule shreds of plastic are turning up all over the world, including Mount Everest and trenches known that plastics are deep in the sea it's now on the tallest mountain on earth says imogen napper a marine scientist at the university of plymouth in england and a national geographic explorer it's ubiquitous through our whole environment listen i I, i'm gonna be brief fuck these motherfuckers that are climbing mount Everest. stop fucking doing it just stop doing it. I'm your like, yeah, yeah, no, no, everywhere you go, everything stays there. Like the Sherpa guy, the, 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 the indigenous people that take these very wealthy white people. Incredibly privileged wealthy people. To imagine how much it costs to climb Mount Everest, bro. When you drop a deuce, the deuce doesn't even decompose because of how fucking high up you are. Ah, that's gross. That's uh, I remember growing up. A long, long time ago. Let me tell you something. You mean you're still young and beautiful? (laughs) Thank you. We're still growing. Oh, thank you. Um, gosh, the fear—I mean, besides like nuclear fallout—was that was acid rain. That if we didn't take care of the environment, all of the rain would be acid. And now I'm in the future, uh, in the present, and the rain are is microplastics. Because plastic doesn't break down. We actually fought against uh, acid rain. We fought against acid rain, and now we have plastic (laughs) Plastic rain. rain. And I can't imagine the damage that's having on the environment because it's so microscopic that we can't see it. I mean, scientists are now just finding it. But they're in our waterways. They're in the air. They're going to be carried in the atmosphere forever and ever. And I think about that because they talk about Earth will eventually have a ring from all of the space debris, from the rockets and shit, because it's... It's too expensive to bring it back down. And so it's just floating around the earth and it'll form its own. It's ring. literally coming into, like you said, an orbit, a ring orbit. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what's happening. Space with trash. As a child, I always imagined a force field around earth. I never knew it would just be trash. Straight up, straight <laughs> up trash. And you know, the, the conversation surrounding plastic, smaller than five millimeters. I yeah. mean, and, and like you said, the microplastics, I hope you don't like seafood. See, y'all don't eat. Mm, well, we eat fish as you long eat as it some has fish. fins and scales. Yeah, you're right. And but you you're not you're not a a shellfish eater. You know no. what I'm saying? Shellfish well, aren't kosher. They're not kosher. But as a Muslim, I be I be, I be doing what I do. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, basically at this point, when you eating shrimp, when you eating crab, when you eating lobster, and probably many fish. You're eating a lot of plastic as well. I mean, the other point they found out is, is, yeah, because it's traveling, the microplastic rain that's falling from the sky now isn't limited to the areas that have the worst carbon emissions or have the worst kind of environmental impact. It's traveling through the seas, 
through the air, through our waterways. We're going to find this shit all over the place. And we're going to be eating it because it's going to fall in pastures. I can eat beef. Cows are eating this in the fucking grass. Yeah, no, it's everywhere. Plastic pollution in the sea goes far deeper than the Pacific garbage patch. The Pacific Rim, the dark, the deepest trench in the Pacific, uh, 10,890 meters down, uh, a study says that they have found a plastic debris island accumulating below the surface of 600 meters deep. And again, right, when we talk about this is such a law and order society where you have to pay for the damage you do. But that only ever applies to people and and predominantly immigrants and people of color. What about what is the corporate responsibility for the corporations that made these plastics that are destroying the universe? Right. At, at least the planet Earth. Right. Because it's not about it's not about Joe consumer goes to McDonald's, excuse me, and gets a drink um, and then they're done with the drink and they throw it away. OK. That's not on Joe Consumer. Joe Consumer should be able to do something more. But what about the corporation that made the plastic thing to go in a drink that's going to be drank for 30 fucking seconds and it's going to last forever? Well, we talked about this in a podcast. Those corporations said it's your fault. <laughs> right. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> um, any, any more thoughts uh, just about today in general? No. Gosh, just so much great conversation. Yeah, I no, I, same. I love you both as well. Um, exit the Matrix Podcast at gmail.com. Matrix Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you know, hit us up. Let us know what's going on. Uh, peep out the website, exitthematrixpodcast.com. Peep the Wokesionary. Make sure to send us your questions and comments. And um, yeah, uh, stay safe, stay hydrated, and stay woke. Lives Matter is critical of me. Look, Panda sometimes is a mood where you're just like, but why don't? <laughs> <laughs>